Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Who sees you? We're looking at computers right now, and in a sense, we can look and see one another on these screens, but who really sees you? Who hears you? Who really hears you? Not just the noise that comes out of your mouth, not just the words that you say, but the heart behind those words. Who hears you? Who knows you? Not just an awareness that you exist or an acquaintance, uh, but who really knows you? Who knows how you experience this world? Who knows where you're hurting and where you're rejoicing? Who knows what's really going on in your head and in your heart? where you're longing and where you're delighting, where you're resting. Does anyone really see you? Does anyone really hear you? Does anyone really know you? These are the deepest longings of the human heart, to be seen, to be heard, and to be known. To have this, is to be loved. These are the things we most need, and they're the things we long for, I think because they're the things that we're missing. I think often these are the sources of our conflict. It leads to heartache in marriages, in friendships, and in families. Uh, if I think of my own household, I think every <laughs> sentence of frustration begins something like this. Do you not see? Do you not see how hard I'm working? Do you not see that I'm tired? Do you not see that I just cleaned that up? That question is one of, don't I matter? Aren't I important? Maybe you have that question at work. Do you not see all that I'm doing? Do you not see my productivity? Do you not see everything that I add to this place, to this company? The question, do you not hear? Again, in our house, it sounds like this. How many times have I asked you? And the question behind that question is, do I even have a voice? Does what I say even matter? Do you not know? Do you not know that I'm tired, that I'm sad, that I'm angry? This one completely hypothetical. Do you not know that putting your wet towel on my side of the bed drives me crazy? <laughs> There's laughing in the room because it's not so hypothetical. I'm totally guilty of doing that. But the question is again, do you know me? Do I matter? What do we do when we feel like no one sees us? No one hears us? No one 
knows us. So many people come to our city, come to Los Angeles, wanting to be seen, hopes of being seen, hopes of being heard, hopes of being known. You could be the biggest star on the silver screen and yet never really be seen. You could have a hundred number one hits and really never even be heard. You could be the most recognizable name and face and yet never really be known. Here's the thing, this city will not give those things to you because it can't. No matter how much we wave our arms, no matter how loud we yell, no matter how much we promote our brand or just advocate for ourselves, will you ever really be seen, really be heard, really be known? Well, friends, church family, I have good news for you today. It is the good news of the gospel. We are now in week three of our series called Asking Questions, The Path to Faith. And we started with questions about the Bible. And last week we began part one of a section on who is God. And we talked about how God has revealed himself as the artist. And today what I want to do is look at another aspect of God, and that is his name. And so we'll look at his name and see the implications of his name through the scriptures. So to kind of take us back to the passage that Kendall read for us just a little bit ago, uh, the context is, it's the Exodus community. It's Moses. The people of God, if you remember the story, had been slaves for 400 years. And in the beginning of the book of Exodus, they cry out to God for help. They cry out to him so that they could be rescued. And at the end of chapter 2, we see that God heard their cries. God saw the people of, as, of Israel, and God knew. And that theme, those themes, play out through the whole book, not of just Exodus, but the whole book of the Bible. That God sees, that God hears, and that God knows. So, uh, again, just a little further into the context of this story, um, a little background on Moses. So Moses was born a Hebrew slave, and he was under the threat of being killed as one of the, the male children that the Pharaoh was killing. And so his mom decides her plan will be to float him down the river, down the Nile, into the arms of the enemy. So she floats him, and he is received by the daughter of Pharaoh. And he grows up in Pharaoh's palace under his roof with all the privileges of being a son of the king. And as he grows older, there's an incident where he sees an Egyptian beating another Hebrew slave. And Moses 
strikes that Egyptian down. He murders him. And the next day, his secret comes out, and Moses flees Egypt and becomes a shepherd in the desert for 40 years. So Moses was hiding. He didn't want to be seen. He didn't want to be heard from. He did not want to be known. And then after all this time in the desert, God appears to Moses. And God reveals so much in that appearance. So let's take a look at that scripture back from Exodus 3, verses 2 through 5. There it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So God does this incredible thing. He takes Moses and he draws him in. Moses isn't out in the wilderness looking for God, searching for God, but God comes to him. He seeks Moses out and he draws him in through this burning bush. It's a fire that is not consumed. Now Moses, having been a shepherd for 40 years at this point, he knows about fire. He knows how to survive in the wilderness. He can look and see something burning and be curious and go, okay, that is burning, but not on its own source of fuel. That bush is not being consumed as it should be, but it is still burning. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to move towards it. I I need to get a closer look. What is this anomaly that I see? And as he approaches, he hears this voice come out of the burning bush, calling his name, Moses, Moses. Now, what's fascinating is in the Semitic languages, if you have a repetition of a name like Moses, Moses, what's implied in that is that it is a friendly voice. It is a voice of care. It is a voice of love. And so remember, Moses is hiding. He doesn't want to be seen. So if someone calls his name, that would maybe be the most terrifying uh, thing in the world. I've been found out. But what Moses hears is a friendly voice, a loving voice. Moses, Moses. And he replies, here I am. And then God tells him, I want you to take the sandals off of your feet, for you are on holy ground. And then God identifies himself. He says, I am the God of your forefathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses then hides his face. And if we know of anything of hiding back from Genesis, that hiding is a posture 
of shame. Moses, confronted with the presence of God, the God of his forefathers, is now ashamed. He's been seen, and not just seen in that moment, but seen in his whole life. God knows all that he's done. Moses can't hide from God. But God tells him, I want you to approach me, and I want you to take your sandals off. And in that context, one would take their sandals off if they were entering the house of an authority, of a superior. And so what God is saying is, this mountain that you are on, Mount Sinai, you're in my house. This is my holy mountain. And when you approach it, take your sandals off to recognize that I am your God. And so he does so. Let's take a look now at the message that God gives him. Let's take a look at verse 7 of Exodus 3. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So again, we see these themes that God sees, that God hears, that God knows. And so what God is telling Moses is this. He's saying, I am going to rescue my people. I am going to save my people from slavery and from suffering. And you are going to lead this thing. You're going to bring them out of Egypt and back here to this holy ground. You're going to bring them back to worship me, to know me, to see me, to hear me. And Moses then responds this way in uh, verses 13 through 15, again of Exodus 3. There he says, Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. <coughs> and so God reveals something amazing in giving Moses a name to call him. Uh, I want to show you one other slide here. It's called the Tetragrammaton. And this is the name that God gives to Moses. It's Yahweh. It's four letters. It looks like this. Maybe you've seen it. Now, in uh, the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, this is 
the name for God, Yahweh. But you might think to yourself, well, I don't ever remember reading the name Yahweh in my Old Testament, and you would be correct, and here is why. Uh, In the third century BC, the Jewish tradition was this, that they thought um, to name a deity, to name God was to try to have power over God. They wanted to obey the command of the Lord, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And so they feared even speaking his name. And so instead they would say the word Adonai in place of Yahweh. And uh, in the third century, we have another thing that happens where the... um, Uh, This is now actually 3rd century A.D. First was 3rd century B.C. In 3rd century A.D., we have the scriptures, uh, the Old Testament translated into um, Latin. And that translation is called the Septuagint. And wherever the Hebrew word Yahweh appeared, it was replaced with kurios. And that was following that tradition of do not speak the Lord's name. Don't say Yahweh. We'll say kurios instead. And in Latin, that was replaced. Yahweh was moved to kurios. And as we have our English translation today, the name Yahweh is replaced with the Lord. And so the crazy thing is in Exodus 3, God gives us his name. He said, I want you to call me Yahweh. This is the name that you will know me by. And we use something else. It's quite ironic. Now, what does Yahweh mean? These four letters. Well, there's been debate for 3,000 years on what the name means and the translation of I am who I am. Yahweh looks very much like a form of the verb to be in Hebrew. And so hence the I am. Now, most scholars agree that this I am is not merely a statement of existence, that there's something much deeper here. If we look at the context here and at many other places, in scripture where the name Yahweh is given, we see that it is associated with the presence of God. We see that it is associated with the covenantal relationship with God and his people. And uh, a book that I have found incredibly helpful is a book called Far As the Curse by Michael Williams. I could not commend that book any higher. And uh, Williams talks in that book about the meaning of I am as it relates to covenant relationship. And so the, the concept is I will be to you as I was to them, meaning to Moses' forefathers. I will be with you in Egypt where I'm sending you as I am here with you now. I am the one who keeps 
my promise. I am the one who is faithful. I am the one who is there for my people. I am is the one who is here for you. I am the one who acts on your behalf. I am the one you can count on. Who is this God? His very name reveals that he is the God of relationship, who sees, who hears, who knows. He is the true God who is with us and who is for us. He is the personal God who comes to us and calls us by name. And not in a burning bush, we are not Moses, but he speaks to our hearts. He calls to our hearts individually through the preaching of his word and the reading of his scriptures and in the work of his people. Now, in our time and place, a lot of people like to replace God with the universe. But friends, let me tell you this. The universe is not personal. It is not a person. The universe does not come close. It does not draw you in. The universe does not know your suffering, my suffering. But Yahweh does. Yahweh is personal. He sees, he hears, he knows, he comes to us. And as we're unfolding this question and answer of who is God, we have to look at God as we talked a little bit last week about who God is in relationship. Now here I'm not talking about relationship with us at the moment, but God's relationship with himself. For the scriptures tell us that God is triune. He is three persons in one God. He is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. And in the Trinity, in that relationship, God in himself is seen, heard, and known. And he is seen, heard, and known perfectly throughout all eternity. And the reason that God creates us is to invite others into the delight that he knows of seeing, hearing, and knowing within the relationship that is himself. That is why the world was created. But that perfect world was broken at the fall of mankind, when mankind rebelled against God, when mankind rose up and said, I want to be God. At that moment, all of creation broke. And that is why we have this unfulfilled longing to be seen, to be heard, to be known. We are made for it, and yet we lack it. And the only way we can regain that delight of God to be seen, heard, and known is for him 
to redeem and restore that relationship. And so again, Moses wasn't on the look for God. God came to him. And in the same way, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes to us. Just as God clothed himself in fire in the burning bush, God in Jesus Christ clothed himself in human flesh to come to us. The word of God, the same word that called Moses, Moses, became flesh and dwelt among us, as we're told in John 1. Jesus, the Son of God, came to rescue us, came to save us from sin and death, our greatest enemies. And in Jesus, we see that God has seen us, that he hears us, that he knows us, because he came to this earth to experience all that we experience. Jesus is the I am. He is the I am of relationship. And there's seven statements in the scriptures, in the New Testament, that describe the I am that is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He is the sustainer of our lives. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is the one that that guides us in a world of darkness. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. He's the one that protects us from predators. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In Jesus, death does not have the last word. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus cares for and watches over his sheep. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, he is the source of all truth and all knowledge. He is both God and the way to God. And Jesus says, I am the vine. He is our connection to God. He is our source of power. He is our source for change, to be redeemed and renewed. God reveals himself to Moses by his words. And God reveals himself to us, those words, as they take on flesh in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know God as he has been revealed in the life and work of his son. We know God because we have seen Jesus in the scriptures. This one who came and lived a perfect life, no sin, and he lived that perfect life on our behalf. We know God 
because in Jesus, that perfect life went to the cross for us. He didn't deserve the cross. We do. And yet he took our punishment upon himself so that we could know God, so that we could be rescued, restored, and redeemed, so that we could be seen, heard, and known. Jesus was clothed in the flesh, and now we can be clothed in righteousness because he came. His perfect life is credited to us. And so when God sees us now, he sees us wearing the righteousness of Jesus like a beautiful robe. We are covered in him. So we see in this relationship of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and we also see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. In creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so right from the beginning, we see the Holy Spirit sustaining all that God has made by the power of his word. And then we see in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit reveals God to us. Let's take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. There it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one responsible for revealing God to the world. I want to show you a couple other scriptures. Let's take a look at John 16, verse 13. There it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit comes to us and dwells within us. That is the ultimate seeing, hearing, and knowing, to dwell within us. And we heard it in our assurance of forgiveness this morning in Ezekiel 36, 27. There it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Holy Spirit transforms our hearts and enables us to follow God, to obey him, to delight in him. Let's look at Romans 8.11. There it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit comes to us, reveals Jesus to us as the Son of God, and through faith, he unites us to Jesus. And he works in us our salvation. He sustains us in this journey. The Holy Spirit sees, hears, and knows. This is the name of God. I am Yahweh. And we see this relationship of Yahweh 
seeing, hearing, knowing. In all three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, there are more questions about God. But in order to get to some of those tough questions, it's crucial to first look at God and how he's revealed himself to us. God is the God of eternal, loving relationship. He is a father delighting in his son through his spirit. One God, three persons. He is the God who has come to us, who has called us by name to rescue us, to save us from sin and death. He is the God that sees, that hears, that knows. And the only way that we will ever truly be seen, heard, and known is through relationship with him, through faith in his son. He has come to us, the great I am, Jesus Christ. And through faith in Christ, we are united both to God and to one another by the work of his Holy Spirit to do his work in this world. The work of the artist who is redeeming and restoring our broken world and who is making all things new. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. Thank you for the comfort that by faith we can be seen, we can be heard, we can be known. That longing that nothing under the sun can fulfill but you. Lord, help us embrace it. Help us to say with Moses, here I am. And Lord, we pray that you would, by your spirit, give us the power to live this out, to be agents of redemption, restoration, reconciliation. Lord, unite us more and more to yourself and to one another. And Lord, I pray as a church that you would call us by name, that you would call out new creation to be your hands and feet in this world. We ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.